Hello, I'm Andrea Steins, President and CEO of the Chicago Community Trust. Welcome to Trust Talks Episode 13, Planning for Equitable Neighborhood Development. Our neighborhoods shape our lives in many ways, from our health outcomes to economic mobility. But for disinvested neighborhoods that have historically lacked access to services, amenities, and jobs, this can impede residents' quality of life and ability to build wealth for their families. That's why planning plays a vital role in addressing neighborhood disparities and creating an environment where investment can take root. Planning also provides an opportunity to engage residents and allow them to envision what a thriving neighborhood looks like to them. Since 2000, there have been nearly 100 neighborhood plans created in Chicago, many spearheaded by residents and community-led organizations. When the Trust launched its strategy to close the racial and ethnic wealth gap, we recognized that there was a need to spur more investment in Black and Latinx neighborhoods. Specifically, our Catalyzing Neighborhood Investment work supports neighborhood organizations working to secure funding for local development initiatives and partnering with residents to create plans that represent their needs. Through our flexible funding program, the Trust has provided $5.4 million in general operating grants to 15 neighborhood organizations. By supporting planning efforts that improve the economic and social conditions for residents, we can envision thriving, equitable, and prosperous Chicago neighborhoods. In this episode of Trust Talks, we'll explore the role of planning and neighborhood development, current efforts to increase investment in Chicago neighborhoods, and the importance of elevating residents' voices in the process. And welcome to episode 13 of Trust Talks. My name is Edwin Tobar, Program Manager for the Catalyzing Neighborhood Investment Team and your host for today. The Trust Catalyzing Neighborhood Investment Team works to build an environment for increased investment in neighborhoods that will allow all residents to have access to the services and amenities they need grocery stores, parks, transit systems, restaurants, and more. To make that happen, urban planning is essential. Planning weaves together the community's environmental, social, and economic goals with the intent of creating areas of work, play, and living that are essential for wealth building. Including residents in the planning processes allows for more equitable development, increased trust between community and government, and a better sense of ownership within a community. That is why, through our flexible funding program, the Trust has provided capacity building support to neighborhood organizations to lead the community engagement, real estate analysis, and design work necessary to create these plans. Our conversation today will explore neighborhood planning in Chicago, how to bring plans to fruition, and the importance of elevating resident voices. We have three illustrious guests today. Please take a moment to introduce yourselves. Sure. Hi, my name is Abraham Lacey. I am the president of the Far South Community Development Corporation. We are located on Chicago's Far South Side in the West Pullman neighborhood, but we service majority of the Far South Side to the city limits and into the South suburbs to I-80. Our primary focus has been on three things. One is business services, where we help small business. We do procurement. We're actually in Illinois Procurement Technical Assistance Center. We do housing services. So we are a HUD certified housing counseling agency where we've reached a milestone in the last five years, where we reached 10,000 residents in counseling and services. And our last is regional planning and development, which we have been doing numerous plans. I think we've been a part of and led more than 15 plans in the neighborhood. First and largest one we're doing is the Morgan Park Commons. 
My name is Christina Harris. I'm a senior director at the Metropolitan Planning Council, which is a nonprofit planning and policy organization based in Chicago, but with a regional focus. The organization will be 90 years old in 2024, and the, we focus mainly on building equity in the built environment, work on water resources, transportation, housing, and community development, and then also land use and planning. And my work specifically focuses on land use and planning. My name is David Scully. Uh, I am Managing Deputy Commissioner at the City of Chicago's Department of Planning and Development. Essentially, I lead the uh, Planning and Design Bureau, which is a little over 30 staff that really focus on uh, the cities in its entirety, from project managing, uh, zoning applications, plan developments, as well as a number of neighborhood and community plans. Last year, we have either finished, initiated, and, and started about 35 uh, neighborhood plans, and we look to continue to build on that community planning and design focus. Before coming to the city, I spent about 14 years at the architecture firm at Skidmore and the Mural. I'm a licensed architect and licensed uh, urban planner. Thank you all of you for joining me today. Let's kick off the conversation with you, Abraham. Far South Community Development Corporation is known for using planning as a tool to promote increased investment in development in the Roseland and Pullman neighborhoods. Why do you think planning is so important in creating thriving neighborhoods? For the longest neighborhoods that have experienced decades of disinvestment and poor planning, you know, time, especially with the increase in investments we're seeing from the federal government, state and local, it is important for us to plan these things out. Just look at the red line extensions coming through. That has been talked about for decades. I've been advocating for the red line extension for more than 10 years. The same thing with the Rosen Medical District. And one of the challenges has always been, especially in, in predominantly black neighborhoods, is, you know, we have a need. We have identified what that need is, but there's not a plan to go about it. You know, when we say that we need investment, what does that mean? When we say that we need healthcare services, what does that mean? So if I come to the city or if I come to any funder, the first thing you're going to say is, what do you want? And I don't have anything to show you. So we spent a lot of time and efforts. And I know that, you know, my colleagues in the neighborhood are going to say, well, there's a lot of planning now. There's so many plans going on. Will it ever get funded? But I would always say it's better to have a plan than not to have one at all. And we spent quite a bit of time to the trust, thanks to the city. The city helped fund the Rosen Medical District Plan. Without that, we would not have been able to get the $25 million of seed funding in order to get the, the Rosen Medical District on campus started. And that's what we're, we're starting to do now in getting those things in terms of land acquisition, in terms of site assembly, in terms of permitting and zoning. We're starting that process now. Why? Because we need a plan to do it. And if we continue to go about always asking and saying, give us something without having a detailed strategy on how we're going to do it, to fail. And that's what's been happening for many years. And I'm so glad now that over the past, as I've been in, in working in this organization, that we have been, along with so many others, have put together a plan and several plans. We've layered plans on top of plans to the point where it's nauseating to, to most residents now because of so many plans. But it's, it's, it's incredibly necessary because think about it. The fact that you do a plan, that gets out. That gets out to not only locally, but regionally. When you start to highlight, hey, there's adequate transportation, there's adequate terms of the metro and the CTA and the pace poles, you start identifying that. You start to get people excited, like residents who want to live near public transit. You start getting investors excited. To me, there's always going to be a nauseam about planning. However, it's incredibly necessary to do so. 
I think it's worth the time and it gives the residents a chance to voice their uh, opinions so that they're not being forced upon, the developments are not forced upon. And so to me, it's a, it's a, it's a long process, but it's necessary. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, I remember recently, actually, that our team helped fund the 103rd Street Red Line Extension work that you're doing. So that's probably a plan that you'll be working on moving forward. For the 103rd Street plan that the trust is funding, there's between Halstead and Michigan, there's three dollar stores. Three. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, there's there's got to be some variety. When we don't plan our corridors, somebody else will. And that's been the, the, the biggest issue is who's getting access on Halstead Street, we're actually doing another plan. Forgive me, it's another one, but we're doing a master plan for the special service area district, which is 103rd and on Halstead Street. One of the things that broke my heart was we were we're planning a, what we call a Jackie Robinson district, which the trust funded um, some of the funding on that in terms of pre-development. The Jackie Robinson district is around 107th and Halstead. That corner on the northwest corner was supposed to be mixed-use housing. We lost it to a gas station, another one. There was one across the street. There's about a few blocks down. There's another four. You go on the southern end direction, there's another four. And so we're like, how much gas do we have to have? But we lost it. Why? Because there was no plan for that 107 until we came along and we tried everything. I called the fuel company in Joliet and said, what do you want? But then they wanted too much. They put the price out of range, which they normally do out here. And we said we couldn't do it. And then boom, another gas station goes up. And why is that important? They're just as prolific as a dollar stores. Our kids eat from there. They get their snacks from there. And many people get their nutrition from gas stations when you don't have anything else. As you talk about planning, I hear often residents saying, okay, are we done planning? When is it actually going to happen? Can you talk more about those types of hurdles? The community is always involved, especially when you're an organization. The community is always involved, especially with these plans, because it's required. You got to get out there and do stakeholder interviews and and public meetings and everything. The biggest hurdle we have is getting, you know, whether it's the city, whether it's the county, whether it's the state, to actually care about it. You know, part of the problem that we have, and I've been saying this for years, is whenever it's time for implement, we'll do the plan, which is great. We get everyone excited about it. Everyone's cheering and being happy about it. The problem comes in is, oh, well, there's not enough money to do it. And so, and we say, well, there's not enough money to do it, but then, we, we turn in cranes and there's $7 billion going to one neighborhood. We're going to spend all this money on one neighborhood. And the rest of us is kind of saying, well, are we not part of the city's growth plan? Because for the longest, it feels like when we're down here on the far south side, every time there's a project, we're, it's a charity. Oh, we're going to give back. No one says Fulton Market, this is a charity. But when it comes to the farce, oh, it's, we're going to give back. We're going to try to do a little bit here. You get one, you get one, you get one, and then we're all supposed to be going to overmarket it and we're going to be happy. But when it comes to other neighborhoods, they get full development. Everything comes in one, in one package. The hurdle is, is do you actually care about the people that are down here, that are paying taxes, that have been asking for this for the longest? I've always said that when we're doing these plans, it's like we're living in an urban apartheid. Because there's no way on earth why in 2023, why we're having food deserts, medical deserts, pharmacy deserts in, this, in the third largest city in the country. That is the hurdle, is to recognize who matters. If we're not a tale of two cities, prove it. You make some really valid points, Abraham. I'm going to go ahead and actually open this up to the bigger group. Is there something that any of you can point out 
when it comes to the implementation of these plans. I go back to the residents who start to wonder if anything is actually going to happen. So can any of you speak about the hurdles that specifically are related to the community involvement component of planning? Resident input is extremely important. You know, there's many times in my experience, I've gotten to work all over the country. There is no amount of research and data that you can pull that's going to match the input and the experience of someone who's lived in a neighborhood for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they understand the stories. They've seen it at its best, and they remember, and they wonder, why can't we have that again, and why can't we have better? So you need that input as someone who is then bringing their own expertise around economic development, expertise around construction and architecture and in urban design and planning to the table to then align with, you know, sort of their overall vision and bring a conversation to the table because there's things that they may not have seen that you can say, hey, well, I know you talked about this, but this is a this is a way that this can happen and that has happened in other places. Maybe that's something we can try here. Here's a financial tool that is new and that the federal government just rolled out that we need to exploit or try and understand to really find a pathway forward to implement. So it creates a, a dialogue and a movement that then allows you to then codify and capture that into the document because the strength of the plan is the document. Having that thing that you can hand to somebody when they say, what do you want? This is what we want. And that clarifies the whole thing. And it gives the residents, because like when I was in consultant, you only have so much scope and time to be there to work with folks. And then once that's done, you have to step away. So that document is something that they can then take forward to their elected officials, to their fellow residents who maybe live in their lives and didn't know anything about the plan or didn't have time to come to that six o'clock meeting. It gives them a way to create that sort of dialogue and momentum on their own to then start to move that forward in the future. I agree with all of that. I would just add that I think equity has to be one of the foundational principles of any type of resident and community engagement uh, meeting. It it should be bringing everyone to the table. So not just the usual suspects, which can happen, show up and provide their input so that people who are unable to attend a meeting or might be outside what you think of is as the scope of the project are also involved and can also participate and leave their fingerprints on the plan itself too because residents know their neighborhoods better than anyone else. And they know what the needs are typically as long as I think it's rooted in equity better better than anyone else. And they're gonna be the champions for implementation long after the planners have left. And I think their input is just super critical to any process. And I would add to that is community members know when a plan is just performative. They know when it's just another plan. And they're just like, yay, because there's a high to it. Everyone gets excited. Everyone gets around the table. There's like a you know bonfire moment. And then you're just kind of like, all right, what's next? And, and I think that we get hit with that a lot when it comes to pulling people together. When it came to the red line, when it came to the medical district, those were some very hard meetings. You go to West Pullman. Back in 2014, we did the corridor plan for 119th, and that was one of the hardest meetings. And even now when we're going back into, because the city's upfunding the pre-development for the West Pullman site, it was some very hard meetings, and we're just getting into it because 10 years ago we were doing this plan and the residents were complaining about the environmental conditions of West Pullman and how some of their loved ones lost their lives to cancer because of all the environmental issues that are still there today. And so 
when you do these plans, the hardest part is the implementation, the hardest part to have that conversation about the implementation because, you know, they'll come up to me and say, well, when is it going to happen? Because we're suffering now. Um, when I go to the hospital, the Rosen Hospital, and it's a safety net hospital, and I meet when I talk with some of the parents or we do stakeholder interviews with some of the residents, and they're saying, well, that's great, but my child just got strung out. Where is the substance abuse center for it? Or they their child was pre-termed. Where do we go for that? And the idea is after that plan, you say, well, what's the sense of urgency that happens when after you do this plan? And I think that's such an important point that you bring up. And when done well, planning can really be a tool to help bring forward that community voice and help the developer really understand if I come and bring this project, I'm going to have automatic buy-in from the community and I'm going to be bringing something that's going to be successful because the developer also needs that buy-in from the communities to make that development successful. I want to transition now and provide some context to our audience. In February 2023, the Chicago Plan Commission unanimously approved the We Will Chicago Plan, marking the city's first comprehensive planning effort in nearly 60 years. I want to turn now to Christina, and the Metropolitan Planning Council has been involved with this process basically since the beginning. Could you elaborate a little bit on what We Will Chicago is and why it's so important? Yeah, I mean, you stole my thunder a bit by saying it was the first citywide plan in like more than 50 years. So since the 1960s, the city hasn't had a citywide plan, and these are Things that are commonly done in other places, places like Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Denver, Seattle, Los Angeles, you can go on and on. And they're really valuable because they help align topic areas like water resources, transportation, housing and neighborhood development, economic development into objectives and goals that the city then can work on reaching together. And it allows for departments to come together across the city and to integrate with communities and residents to plan for that vision together. And so We Will Chicago, this citywide plan, had the underlying values of equity and resiliency as the two driving factors of it. And because of that, it became a plan that really focused on, I would say, diverse community engagement practices. So it had surveys, it had um, outreach events that were in person, it was trying to really align across the city around the type of vision folks had for Chicago and what the objectives and goals we should be moving towards in things like housing and things like the environment, climate, and energy, which are a couple of its pillars. And that's really crucial. I think Abraham mentioned several times that without a plan, someone's going to plan for you. And so the question is, who's planning for us if we're not planning for ourselves? And that was the a step the city hadn't taken for a very long time. And it was just really exciting to see that get off the ground and get completed and then pass by the plan commission. And since it was passed by the plan commission, that means we are now on a trajectory to update that plan every 10 years, which means it gets folded into the planning apparatus of our city. And so now we are planning for ourselves altogether. Great thing you bring that up because I think there's definitely an environment now in the city where planning is kind of starting to become more and more important and people are starting to see the value in it. But I also want to highlight that the Metropolitan Planning Council has been doing some more work than just kind of getting the plan going. You guys have been doing the zoning assessment as part of your continued work. Can you provide some details as to what the reason for the zoning assessment is and what is kind of coming out of it? Yeah, so taking a step back, really great that we have a citywide plan now, but a citywide plan is not a comprehensive plan. 
And typically when a comprehensive plan is done, it takes kind of your priorities and your policies and then it aligns what changes need to occur across land use and then zoning so that you can actually implement a lot of the goals that you have across development in specific neighborhoods. And so after the planning process was complete, we kind of wanted to take a step back and consider how this could apply then to land uses and zoning within the city and for folks who don't know what zoning is. So land use is everything you see in your your neighborhood. It's when you, you're walking down the street and you see housing, um, you see a park, you see commercial development. It, it makes up all the places you go typically in your neighborhood. Zoning is really the legal regulations that say whether or not something can be built there. And then the density requirements and also re- parking requirements to a certain extent as well. And so it's really important because it controls the type of development you have in your neighborhood. And so we wanted to really understand what the equity, public health, and sustainability implications are around zoning in different neighborhoods. There have been a lot of uh, work that's been done over time looking at how zoning impacts things like affordable housing and how zoning impacts things like especially in the industrial corridors, like public health. But we wanted to kind of be able to combine all of these things into one assessment and really start looking at what the impacts are across areas like mobility and housing, because we think that's central, but also the environment and environmental health as well. And so that's kind of why we're doing the assessment, because we want to understand comprehensively the impact zoning is having and then be able to make recommendations to change it to have a more equitable impact across the city and on residents. And then really understand if if zoning isn't the thing that's causing the problem, what is the thing that's causing the problem? So that we can also change those policies and practices too. And so we're not just solely focused on zoning as the key to unlock all of the potential of the city and make sure that everyone has the type of neighborhood where they can access good jobs and have affordable housing and have access to transportation and all of these other things that we want for people. Yeah. And if I could say, I've been part of the conversation with the zoning assessment. It's great that you guys have resident voices, you have community organizations, you have people from the city all involved in this topic. So you're not just going to the typical players that you would see. You're really starting it from the ground up and from community. Because like you all said, the community is the one prescribing what they need and they're going to be able to give you the best understanding of what each neighborhood needs. I turn to you now, David. Planning has often been kind of semi-ambiguous topic that Chicago residents know exists but don't often understand directly how it affects them. Will you explain what the role of the planning department is and how the work you guys are doing is impacting residents? Let me start with bifurcating this a little bit because I think there's sort of planning as a tool and as an entity and how it's been, you know, sort of used or, or not used sort of historically in, in the city of Chicago. And I think the relationship that folk have with planning can be twofold. It either can be that there hasn't been enough planning, so their development just happens. You know, people don't learn about things until it's under construction and they feel uninformed. Honestly, just not respected. A lot of the work needs to come in to, you know, sort of address that. But then there's the opposite end of the spectrum where there's places that have gone through five, ten plans and nothing's happened over the last, you know, 30 years. So that sort of planning fatigue that can really drain folks' belief in what the plan, you know, can do and the power of what it can, you know, sort of bring to a neighborhood. Again, it comes back to really, like, respect and how are you respecting the time and the input and the energy that people are putting into the plan 
and how the city moving that forward. So in the department's role in planning, so the department has sort of a, a function both as the regulatory entity, so we control review zoning, any zoning changes come through the department, historic preservation, landmarking, and, and that sort of thing also come through the department. We have a financial incentives division who really focuses on how to leverage the financial tools that we have at hand to facilitate development. And like everything is not perfect, but it's something that we want to continue to, to, to do and facilitate development in an equitable, equitable way. And then the, the Planning Design Bureau, which, which I lead, focuses on leading neighborhood plans. We, we often work collaboratively with the Citywide Bureau on city land sales. The city has, you know, over 10,000 parcels that, you know, sort of were torn down through urban renewal and, and that sort of thing over the, the decades, how to really bring those back into productive use. I think like a lot of cities around the country, departments have been staffed down so that you don't have necessarily the resources internally to do the neighborhood planning and do the community engagement like you need to do. And that's something that's been really uh, scaling up, I think, all over the country. That's something I've seen in, in a lot of places, bringing more things internally. And then having that capacity to go out and do like they did with We Will, which is like they went out to not just downtown, but to all sorts of neighborhoods. We're part of neighborhood fairs and community events and weren't just, you know, sort of saying, hey, come over here to this separate meeting that you, you have on top of your local school council and your, you know, uh, all dramatic meetings, like we're not adding anything to your schedule. Come here to this sort of arts fair or to the Pullman Taste or that sort of thing, and we're just going to be here to listen to you. So one other thing I'll, I'll add is Christina mentioned it in, the, in her comments about we will going through the City Plan Commission to be adopted. The step of adoption by the City Plan Commission is a critical step in allowing that document to then have the power to be looked at when development comes. Because an adopted document means that when we then get a development application for a site, we can then say, oh, does this conform with that plan? Oh, oh, it doesn't. Okay, well, now we have to have a conversation and we can sort of negotiate or work through what that means. But without the plan and without the adoption, we have to rely on, does it comply with zoning? Does it comply with the site plan approval rules? Has it gone through its various steps? And I think that's a critical, a critical step that having that more refined, you know, adopted plan approach really helps to provide everybody with tools to, to then measure and to say, hey, Yes, we, we want this. This aligns with what we've talked about. Or no, you know what, this this actually doesn't. Let's go back to the drawing board. That's actually great to hear. And thank you, David. It seems like what you're saying is that there's a disconnect between planning and what has been happening in the neighborhoods. Is there an environment where those things are moving closer together and we could get more codified plans in the city? Or do you think there's work that has been done to get us there? I think some people think we're some sort somehow omniscient and like we're not. So like there there'll there'll be neighborhood groups that do plans and we have no idea about them until they're released. We're happy to collaborate. We just, you know, we're happy to just be part of the process if, you know, leading it just to be in the room and, and support and, and to provide sort of knowledge, especially around the implementation, because you know, zoning and, and land use and and all of the regulations, it, it can be tricky. And, and they're built up over years and years and years of people, alder people, city council, state regulations, federal regulations, all those things coming into play. And, you know, it takes sometimes, you know, a little bit of like, hey, you know what? Oh, that thing that we want to do, we actually need to 
coordinate with uh, CDAP because that, you know, is more of actually a streetscape thing. Oh, you know what? Let's talk to Department of Housing uh, because, you know, I know we want to do affordable housing here, but is that, you know, is this the right location or is this, a, you know, an area where that makes sense? Like we can kind of have more robust conversations with, with folks just being at the table. So as, as much as, you know, sort of we can kind of get brought in, that's helpful. And then we can start to move things through that sort of process with plan commission. One of the things I'm really interested in is starting to just catalog a lot of these neighborhood and community-led plans so that we kind of all have, you know, we know what, what's going on. We know the work that's been done because that, that's work. Like, and we don't want to disrespect that, you know, sort of input and interest and energy that people put into to those plans and, you know, start to really understand what the ecosystem of planning is in Chicago today and then how that then overlaps with those, you know, sort of future land use changes and future zoning changes that may want to come from the other efforts that are because those all, you know, sort of need to overlap and inter interconnect. Can, can I add something to that? So, uh, and this is why I think the We Will Chicago is so important, because sometimes when you're doing plans, it's going to change when a new administration comes in. If there's not a goalpost, if there's not a foundation to where you can say, okay, we're we're going back to this, therefore, the if there's a new administration that comes in and says, nope, we're not doing that anymore. Well, there's already something that's already in the works, you know, that we can all point to and say, yes, I understand there's a new administration, but there is a larger plan that was pl passed by the com plan commission that we have to do something about. Otherwise, it's like what we feel in some time in the neighborhoods, we're just like, oh, my God, we got to start over again. There's no more of this program. So now or it's getting expanded. I was at the latter part of Daily, I think, but it was Emmanuel, Lightfoot, and now Johnson. And it's just, it's not that the plans change all too much, the names do, but the focus changes. So at one point, there's heavy on retail. Next minute, it's heavy on affordable housing. And so the things that you've been working on for the last eight years doesn't apply anymore over here. So there's, so there's always good to have that centralized plan that you can say, okay, this is our guiding star here. So if there is a new administration, whether it's aldermanic, state reps, whatever they want to come into and say, hey, we're going to do this, it's like, okay, does this align with the, the sort of central foundation plan? I would just add that I actually think the Department of Planning and Development has started to do a really good job reviewing past plans to see what they can um, take from it as they're starting, I would say, a revised or an updated or a new planning effort. That was one of the things that was done with the citywide plan. We will. They cataloged all the existing plans, and I thought that was really important. I know that they're doing that whenever they start new initiatives at that point in play, and I think that's really great. One final question. Is there any specific planning effort that you want to point to in the city that you're excited about or you think is important to highlight? There's definitely multiple happening. Chicago Central Area Plan, you know, this is the first update that we've done. I think the last time it was 20 years ago. We're in that process right now. The team has done a really amazing job of making sure to, to get input, you know, from a wide group of people. And this is the first phase of that effort, really focusing on existing conditions, what's been built from the last Central Area Plan, like what's happened, has it been effective or not? And we're moving into next year to do phase two, which will really focus around really visioning 
for that next 20 years of Central City investment. And then there are definitely two more, 95th Street ETOD plan, which we're doing with Far South and a larger, you know, sort of team. MPC has been amazingly supportive in, in that effort and getting the, a federal grant of $800,000. And then we matched it with an additional 200 to really focus on uh, 95th Street from Halstead to Cottage Grove and uh, Milwaukee Special Character District, which is really uh, an overlay trying to understand almost a middle ground between sort of a full preservation sort of district. Some things don't always raise to that, rise to that occasion, but sometimes you want to preserve the character of an area without having to go through the regulatory hurdles. So trying to find a, a way to do that, and the team's been working on that with uh, the alder person and focusing in, on the Milwaukee Avenue and Logan Square. So uh, since 2016, MPC has been working with partners like the Friends of Chicago River and the city. So the Department of Planning Development and others, CDOT, MWRD, it just dropped a lot of acronyms. But on implementing this vision for our great rivers, in 2016, there was a plan released to help make the river system more inviting, living, and productive. And since then a bunch of civic partners, community-based partners, and then also city partners have been working together to actually change policies and practices to improve the river and riverfronts. And coming out of this work, there's a update to the Calumet Design Guidelines and the Calumet Land Use Plan that the Department of Planning and Development is going to be leading that MPC is going to be supporting along with the Southeast Environmental Task Force, the Alliance for the Great Lakes, Friends of the Chicago River, and then also the Calumet Collaborative. And we're pretty excited about this. The Southeast Environmental Task Force in particular has been advocating for many years to do an update to the design guidelines and the land uses and particularly the industrial corridor in the Calumet to take more into account things like public health in what is going on there for development. And so we're at the point that it's officially starting. And these are some guiding documents that really haven't been updated for 20 years. And I don't know about you, but a lot has changed in the city in the past 20 years. And so the fact that this project is really kicking off in 2024 is just a lot of work that's coming together over the past few years, and we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, and I'll have to echo that because I I sit on the Calumet Collaborative Board, and that's really exciting to me because I'm always a big fan of if the Chicago River Walk can be designed really well, so can the Calumet River Walk can be designed really well. Plus, it has so many things that connects the Calumet River area that I'm excited about. You mentioned the 95th Street Corridor Plan, which I think is great, which ties into Chicago State and what they're doing, which has always been a big push for me because you have a university in your neighborhood, so you want to make the most out of that. I'm excited about just what the Red Line Extension, because even though that's that's going to be the main artery that runs through the neighborhood, look at what's going to spur from it. So you look at 115th Street, you look at 130th Street, you look at 103rd Street, you look at 95th Street, and you look at all these sort of exciting things that's being spurned off of this that I think is going to help build up the the, the far south side. That's great. I'd like to thank all of you for joining me today. This has been such a great and insightful conversation. And I think it really comes to show that planning is starting to become an important tool that residents can use to really create their own neighborhoods in in their image and what they think is best for them. I would like to thank my guests for joining me today. And hopefully this conversation is the first of many that we're able to have. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Trust Talks. 
To learn more about the Chicago Community Trust strategic plan to close the region's racial and ethnic wealth gap, please visit cct.org. While visiting our website, you can also sign up for our quarterly Trust in Action newsletter to stay up to date on the latest episode of Trust Talks. And you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter.